Let me ask that you open up your Bibles to the book of James. So one of the movies that has a good bit of airtime, many of you may have watched it, though if you're 18 and under you might not have because it's too old for you, um, Farce Gump. Um, so, you know, in the movie, of course, he's given a kind of a, a timeline of things that are happening in the Americas from uh, really late 40s, early 50s on uh, to, I guess, late 80s. Um, and so you get the synopsis of, of American history, but it's done uh, with a special character by the name of uh, Forrest Gump. And, and, and there's a lot of interesting stories and points being said, but it's amazing how it's those little one-liners that seems to stick in our head. Um, and so I probably could state to you a phrase and you could complete it. Um, stupid is as... So... <laughs> So the, the point of it, it kind of hit us because the definition of your intellect is measured by your actions. And so you have this kind of unique character that seems to go from blessing to blessing uh, as he kind of absentmindedly falls into these situations while at the same time being compared with these famous people in history and what falls their way, though they're known for their intellect and it has this interesting contrast of what is smart, um, what is wise, and what is stupid, according to the movie. Uh, I could not help but think about that as I was reading the book of James, especially the point that we will be at this morning. Uh, in James chapter 3, we're going to focus on verse 13 through 18, uh, and the question is, what is wisdom? Um, and you cannot help but think through your mind Wisdom is as wisdom does, according to James chapter 3, um, especially verse 13. We are looking at this and looking at the idea of James bringing out what does it mean to be wholehearted. It uses the phrase being perfect or, or complete, not to say that we lack any mistakes. That's not the idea of being perfect, but that we are wholehearted. How can we be wholehearted? And James is, is hitting on this. And all along the way, he shows how our heart is revealed uh, and consequently how to surrender our heart once again to have this idea of being complete, no longer conflicted hearts, fighting within ourselves, wanting one thing but then acting upon another and having two desires in conflict with one another and, and that this is part of our life. And how does it become wholehearted, in harmony, in unison, and complete uh, under God? And so, as we looked several weeks ago, uh, in James 3, we hit on the tongue, our words. And the words reveal our heart. And so, the very first idea is our words matter. Um, they all matter and that they will be, according to Scripture, judged one day. And so, our words matter because it reveals our heart. Um, we, we can't deny uh, the things that we say, um, every once in a while we might slip up and say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> really what we meant is, I didn't really mean for you to hear that. Um, we said it already in our heart, right? The words are just catching up with our heart. But we, you know, we've learned discretion and uh, we've learned that there's some things that should not be said, right? Every thought that crosses our mind should not be stated. 
uh, you quickly go down a bad way. Uh, and so, uh, but they reveal our heart, but not only do they reveal our heart, heart our words actually form uh, our heart. And they form the hearts of others. They, they have impact. They have meaning that we long to hear words said to us. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if no one ever said anything to you? You had no sense of who you are apart from words said to you. Have you ever thought about how it plays in? We, we like to think that we're independent and that we don't need anyone else. But it's a lie. It is a lie, uh, and so we come up with little sayings as children to say sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt, but they do, and so we make sayings like that to tell ourselves that they don't. But not only do they form the hearts of others, they form our own hearts, and, and so as we say things, they crystallize who we are and who we're becoming. So James goes on and says, look, there is a great inconsistency. We praise with one and then we curse with another. And so how can we have healing to our hearts? And so this is where we uh, ended up that the words said to God and from God can bring healing to our words to others. The words said from God and the words said to God can change who we are. And that's where we looked at the word said on Palm Sunday and specifically the word said on Easter and the power of those words being declared and said uh, to say that, that Jesus says it is finished. There's forgiveness there for us and, and the power of those words. But as we go on with this idea, we're learning that, wi- that words sh- reveal our heart. And so he goes in and talks about wisdom because we're going to learn that wisdom is a matter of our heart more than anything else. Uh, and so, with that being said, let's go to verse 13 through 18. And let's stand as we read this together in honor of this being God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. So wisdom is as wisdom does. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You may be seated. So let's read verse 13. He brings out the point. If you want to know who the wise people are, it's not by the words they say alone. Uh, It's not just by what they know. A lot of times we make a big deal about what we know. But he says, when you want to find wise counselors in your life, look at their conduct. Look at their behavior. That's one of the reasons why we have in our church the elder model in that the congregation brings up after observing lifestyle, this is a wise person that is pastoral not just because they came out of seminary. 
So it helps. We want the training. But with the training, we want observed conduct that the church can say, okay, let's look at the conduct, look at the behavior, and determine uh, who God is calling and leading. And so that really does matter. And so when you look for counselors in your life, in your children's life, pray for and look for people with a certain type of conduct as described in this passage uh, of the characteristics, especially in verse 17. So, it's tied with this idea, works in the meekness of wisdom. So we're going to look at that in just a little bit, the meekness of wisdom. But then, in verse 14, 15, and 16, he gives the contrast. Uh, the contrast of, of wisdom uh, with the word but. He says, okay, here's the meekness of wisdom, but let me talk about this. What is the opposite of that? And so let me just kind of go with the opposite of wisdom. I have a discussion about this. Is that, is that foolishness? Is that stupidity? But as you read in Scripture that there's a little bit more to it, notice the quali- qualities here that in verse 14 there's a bitter jealousy. There is a selfish ambition. There is a tendency of boasting. Uh, that, and then you see earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And then you see again, verse 16, repeated jealousy and selfish ambition. These two characteristics actually being the opposite of wisdom. So let me just say it this way. Being full of yourself. Being full of yourself. Uh, that when you are, uh, while being full of yourself, it is going to introduce misery in every circumstance. It's going to introduce misery into every circumstance. So have you ever thought about how miserable you've been this past week? Um, it's, you know, as you have a family, it happens. And I never forgot uh, when we started trying to take family pictures. Um, you know, like the type you want to pay someone for. Uh, and you had, would go, and I think we went to Sears or something like that, you know, and uh, you just sit there, and the whole idea is that you want the children, you want the family, you want everyone to look a certain way that you want to remember forever this image of your family. The problem is that mom and dad have a different expectation than what the rest of the family does, right? Uh, and so it, it hit us as we're trying to get the little ones dressed. And we have a certain dress we want them to wear, certain hairstyle we want them to have. And then, you know, who on earth, God allowed these children to come with their own will, you know? You I mean, they have their own sense of the style that they want, you know? Uh, and so uh, we were looking through pictures. And we used to do it when I was a little looking photo books. Now you look at the phone, scrolling through the last few years. And so we were looking at some of these and, and laughing, uh, which is appropriate. Yeah, it's an appropriate thing to do, laughing at your, your, your attempts of an image of, of this. And so one of the things that would inevitably happen is that uh, we would early on just walk away frustrated, which is like, that was the most miserable experience. <laughs> that was painful. Why? Because there is a conflict, there is desire. We want to uh, have a certain image that portrays who we are. You know what we are? We're being full of ourself. Um. You notice the words employed, jealousy, selfish ambition. Um, it is about a desire, a control that we have. When we are full of ourselves, misery will often uh, creep in to those moments. And the part of the problem is that we feel like everything that happens is either an applause or an assault upon ourselves. 
driving, right? You're going down the interstate or you're getting on 440 and, um, you know, someone cuts in front of you or slows down in front of you, um, doesn't turn the, the turn signals on. I mean, uh, there, there is understandably just bad driving. But then how often do we see it as, I can't believe what they did to me. You know, because uh, we have this expectation that every lane ought to be free for us, right? No one else should impede upon it. And so we take it personal. And then we do that with our family, that someone just didn't absentmindedly forget something. No, someone attacked me in this behavior. And so it becomes this, this uh, strife that flows out of a jealousy, a selfish ambition. Uh, you know, Christmas morning, uh, you know, you think, oh, this is going to be a sweet time. And it is, and it can be a sweet time. But oftentimes it's mixed in with all these other jealousies, bitterness, anger, frustrations. You're, you're wiped out by noon, you know, because part of it is the emotional stress of it all. Uh, and, and so these are just as a microscope things that happen, not just in our family, but happen in our church, that happen in our workplace, happen in our society. And so the problem that he says is, look, look at this and understand what wisdom is. When we look at the opposite, it's actually being full of ourselves. And that in that moment, whatever you're doing, you can bring misery into this by just having an attitude and expectation that is going to be about what you want. I just encourage you to read the next few verses that we stop. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So anytime there's conflict, you can look at this and say, okay, there's passions at war going on. But let me just take it a step earlier. Anytime there's misery in your life that, that, uh, that has been brought on emotionally, look and see if there's not a sense of entitlement, a sense of expectation that things need to, no, must go your direction, your way. And so he says, look, causes jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. And then it says, do not boast, verse 14, and be false to the truth. And I thought about that. Now, false to the truth. What am I being false to when I'm living life full of myself with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? What am I being false to? I'm being false to reality. You think about what entitles people. In America, you know, one of the things, issues that we continually still deal with is racism. Have you ever thought, though, where did your ethnicity come from? It came from God. God brought you to the family and to the location, to the geographical region that you came from, you had nothing to do with it. Yet some people would say, because I'm a certain color, I am therefore superior. And they will boast about this. And they're being false to the truth. What is the truth? The truth is you have nothing apart from God. And we are all beggars except for receiving from God, including our race. Some people say, well, my in intellect, my, my ability to think well, look, you may have worked hard with the things that God gave you, but never forget that it was God that gave it to you. You have nothing apart from God. And so 
everything that we would tend to boast into, whether we worked hard, we had to work hard with something that God gave to us. And so boasting is a tendency of denying the truth that you have everything from God and you cannot be full of yourself and live in reality. So every once in a while the bubble bursts, does it not? This goes back to James chapter 1. How does the bubble burst? Verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. <laughs> Nothing will burst your bubble quite like a trial, right? Quite like a little bit of cancer can bring a little bit of reality. Realizing that the health that you had was always a gift from God. Nothing like a little bit of financial struggle. For us to realize that we are totally dependent on God to help us in the decisions that we make. Whether it's a relational issues that, that we are no, not nearly in charge of things like we thought we were. And that we need people. And we need things. And it gets us to, to understand that I need something and I've always lived this way. I didn't realize it though. And now the trials is bringing it to my attention. So notice what he says in James chapter 1. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be, there's that word, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That you may be wholehearted. And verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. There it is, this connection again with what is this wisdom. And understanding that the trial will burst the bubbles of being filled with ourselves when we realize we will not live forever. And before long, our grand dreams of what we want to see accomplished is maybe just to breathe another day. When we are filled with ourselves, we are denying reality. We're boastful about it. And so James says, don't be that way. So let's keep on reading. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. All right, that, that's when it's fueled by a selfish motivation. Just mark it. That's not God's wisdom. You, you call it wisdom if you want, but it's not God's wisdom. But instead is earthly unspiritual, demonic. Whoa. Nothing like throwing the word demonic in there. Uh, well, I just, I just thought I kind of wanted something for myself, you know. What, what's the harm in that? Well, if it's against God's rule and his authority, then it is motivated by the pit of hell. Can you get that? We like, we like to sugarcoat our mistakes, do we not? We've got all kinds of words, um, uh, improper, or, you know, we, we, we use these words that kind of dress it up to make it so it's not quite as bad. It was an indiscretion, you know. Um, oh, that sounds like something I would do, an indiscretion. And, and yes, these are something that we would do, but you need to understand that it's when it's motivated by selfishness, James just calls it as it is. That's from the pit of hell. I love that about Scripture. You don't get that on you know, political talk shows. Um, but this is the word of God, and he's just bringing out, helping us understand where these motivations come from. 
Interesting enough, I've seen this happen in church life where we talk about, let's, let's make sure uh, we have a certain way done in church and it's fueled by uh, a selfishness, but we'll call it something good and say, well, we're just fighting worldliness. Understand, worldliness is not just the songs and things that we see in the culture. Worldliness begins in our heart with selfish ambition. And then in verse 17, or let's, verse 16, for where jealousy, selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vow practice, which I think leads to chapter 4, verse 1. What does disorder look like? It morphs and grows into strife and quarrels. Every vow practice can be stemmed back to this. Then verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Now, I want you to have in your mind the Beatitudes. Think Matthew 5. There's 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The wisdom from above is first pure. pure. Then peaceable, and you compare that with verse 18, those who have a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are they, yeah, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, gentle Open reason, full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so you see James being influenced by his, his half-brother, Jesus, uh, in the Beatitudes. And they're flowing out here and say, this, this is what wisdom, when I think about wisdom, I think about the Sermon on the Mount. And these are the characteristics of that. And the, and the thing about being the Sermon on the Mount was how to be a citizen of God's kingdom, which means, above all things, that Jesus is king, that God is king of your life. And so let me just share with you, as I think about what wisdom is, it's been divine, defined by different things. Wisdom is skillful living. Uh, wisdom, uh, one person defined it as, is ability to develop and see relationships. I think that speaks a little bit more to it. But when we talk about what the Bible has to say, this is just what I want to introduce, and I've shared with you before. Wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. It is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority. Not just know that God is in charge, but enjoy Delight, see how God is in charge, that though that may be against your will, that you will be willing to surrender your desire, what you want to do, so that you can see God's will be done because you trust his will more than your own. Because you've come to believe that joy is found in obedience to Jesus Christ that is greater and more enduring than the happiness that comes from doing what you want. You've come to understand that joy that comes from obeying Jesus will be greater than the happiness that comes from doing what you want. That is a key thing to learn in life. You know, uh, we call it delayed gratification for children. They're willing to put aside, look for something greater. But I'm going to share with you that as adults, we still struggle with this. It is the authority of God. Let me just share some scriptures with you. Uh, Psalm 111 uh, is one that was read earlier. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks. And by the way, Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 are, are kind of companions. They're both acrostics. In other words, they start with a different letter, um, each line going down, uh, going working through the alphabet. Praise the Lord. 
I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now listen to this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is not a dread. In fact, we're going to see how that's elaborated on in a little bit. It's not a dread, but is a respect. It is a sense of all of the power of God. A sense of seeing the majesty of who God is, and you see yourself as under his authority. And so doing so, as you go under his authority, it is the beginning of wisdom. And the only way you will really learn to see the beauty of God's authority is by experiencing God's authority. That if you always look at it and say, well, I see all these rules, I can't see how that would bring joy in my life. Well, you never will until by faith you step and trust in God in one of those areas and you see how God's plan works out. And you think, well, I don't know if I want to do that. But let me give you the contrast. Have you done your will? Have you done your plan? How has that worked for us so far? Is it so persuasive that you're willing to keep on going down that route? Somewhere along the way, God speaks to our heart and shows us that our ways aren't working. And so the beginning of wisdom is is to fear the Lord. Now read the next chapter, Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. This is again, who recognizes God's authority in their life. Who greatly delights in his commandments. And so this is where you see the beauty of God's authority. There is a delight. When, we, when you look at this praise of God, and you see it all throughout the Psalms where he says, praise the Lord. It is because you enjoy the Lord. Think about that. We have praises all the time for all kinds of stuff. I mean, I know we praise Football teams, basketball teams, uh, baseball teams as they're coming up. We praise schools. We praise towns. We praise churches. We praise stamps. How do I know? Well, there's such a thing as stamp collection. And people will rave about stamps. I, I, I collected rocks. <laughs> I praise the rocks. Look at this. This is a great rock. And you know, just, we praise all kinds of stuff. Because we enjoy those things. And so what the scripture is saying is, praise the Lord. Why don't we learn to enjoy who God is and his authority and let us delight in his commands. And so here's what it comes down to in my life. I I know this. I've been thinking through this. I hear the scripture speaking to me. Blessed, our wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. But I see a circumstance and I think, but God... I really want to do this. 
And I think that if I want to do this, that it's going to make me happy. And God says, you can't have your cake and icing and eat it too. You just have to trust me. I design life. I know where that road goes. And I have given to you promises that says your joy will be full. And the way to that full joy is only through the umbrella of God's authority to say, I will submit and allow you to cross my will. Not just in everything, but specifically in this area that I am contesting with you about. And here's what I want to do. I want to say, well, God, can I give you lip service? Can I share with the whole congregation that wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority but not really do that? That's kind of where we want to get. We want to do everything we can just to keep a little bit of our control. Just, just a little edge. I mean, after all, God, I mean, I've given you 98% of control of these things. But let me have 2% of this, just this area. I'll do everything else. But what that reveals is that we do not believe still that God has his good authority over all things. To be 98% willfully disobedient is to be 100% disobedient. Here's the thing about God. He wants all. Absolutely wants all of our heart. And if you're like me, you resist that. And we resist it because we've not been fully persuaded that God's character is all wise and produces joy. And that's what we need to pray about right there. Because in that 2%, we are filled with our self. And there will be misery that comes from that. So, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, as the authority of God is working in our life. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's so much more I could go into, I just can't, and how God's authority works in relationships. But rest assured, God's authority established in relationships will produce peace. Not an absence of conflict. That's not the definition of peace. An absence of conflict. Sometimes, because you're under God's authority, conflict has to happen. Jesus said, I've not come necessarily to bring peace, but a sword. There are some conflicts that happen, but it is done under God's authority, and he will bring hearts back to truth. Not a mushy love. Not a sentimentality of love, but true love. And he is longing to look for those who worship in spirit and truth. As we read this, understand that this concept is what brought the gospel to us. 
The wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance is what produced our own method of salvation, produced the gospel. It is what is, is at the heart when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, seeing what is in front of him and what's going to be required to get us right with him and says, God, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. I surrender. And it pleased God the Father to bruise his son on our behalf and we think oh my goodness but now 2,000 years later we are beginning to see just the hint of the beauty of what God was doing in that moment and I believe that in eternity in heaven when our heart stops beating here and we are in God's presence that we will see a full ray of beauty of God's authority that had been done not just in the cross but in every single second of our life that we have no idea of God's authority at, at work but in heaven we will have eyes to see the beauty of God's authority that now we tend to grumble and complain about because our heart's in the way but until that time comes we have the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of heaven itself that is issuing into our life God's authority. Being filled with the spirit is to be yielded completely to that heavenly spirit so that we can see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance of our life. Let's pray.